Hello, GPSers, and welcome to our first ever official GPS podcast. I don't know if you listened to last week's quick trailer, but this podcast is basically a way for us to keep the conversation going through the week for you to stay in the loop on what we're talking about in class. So if you happen to miss a Sunday or you're volunteering or you just don't happen to make it to class, then you can get a brief, hopefully brief, summary of what we talk about in class and what people say and kind of where we took class on a particular Sunday. And so if it's a helpful class to you, you can re-listen to it and get the highlights. It's as a class that you missed, you can listen to it to make sure you're in the loop, or maybe it's a class that you think someone else would find helpful, and you can hopefully pass this along, and it will give them a snapshot into our conversation. And so I want to just jump right into it this week and talk about what this first series of the year is all about. And so I want to read a scripture, and then I want to tell a story, and then we'll talk about where we're headed in this first series. Here's the passage of scripture, Genesis 1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The first year that Jessica and I were married, we decided to celebrate our one-year anniversary by going to Chattanooga for the weekend. And we had our plans made all out for what we were going to do, but I had asked her the week before if we could leave a little bit early so that we could go to a house that was very important to me. And the house that I wanted to take her to was the house where my great-grandparents lived. It was a house that when I was very young, every Christmas and Easter, our family would drive down to Chattanooga. And I don't have many memories of this house, but I have two that are kind of fuzzy in my mind. The first one is I remember being a very, very young child and I was doing an Easter egg hunt on the front lawn of this house. And I remember finding this large oversized Easter egg during our Easter egg hunt. It was this big, bright blue egg that my great-grandmother had for each Child, She had hidden these oversized eggs for each of us around their property. And and that's one memory that I have. And the other memory I have was the very last time I was at the house. It was when I was in fourth grade and my great-grandmother had passed away and we were cleaning the house out and I was in the basement of the house with a brown paper bag, stuffing the bag with these large blocks of coal, these large chunks of coal. I had never seen a coal fireplace before. I thought that was the coolest thing, and I wanted to take coal with me of all things I could have taken from this house as a keepsake. Yes, I I took coal as a keepsake. And, And I remember being in the basement, walking out of the house, and then never returning to the house again. My family sold the house, and I had no real reason to go back there. And so it had been a couple of decades since I had been to the house. And so we decided to leave early and go find this house. And I knew what road it was on. And so I decided to get at one end of the road and just drive slowly until I saw the house. And I wanted to try to see if I could remember where it was. 
as we get on the road there in Chattanooga and we're driving down the house and I'm looking at these houses very carefully and then I get to one spot in the road and there are these two houses next to each other and I am confident that one of those two houses is the correct house. But I can't figure out which one it exactly is and I have my stubborn streak in me and I refuse to call any family members to ask for the address. I just decided I'm going to take pictures of both of the houses and then I'll ask my relatives later. And so I get out of the car with a small camera and I stand in front of the first house and I begin taking pictures of the house with a small digital camera. And in the moment, I didn't really think about what this would look like from someone who was standing inside of the house. That what they would have been seeing is some strange person pull up in a small car and get out and begin taking pictures of their house, a person that they had never seen before. And I realized that this probably wasn't the best idea about the time that I heard a voice calling out to me, Hey, what are you doing? And about that time, I saw a lady walking from the door of the house in front of me, walking directly towards me on the sidewalk that ran from her porch to the road. And again, not thinking about how this all looked, I began walking towards her with my camera in hand, and we met about halfway in between on this sidewalk. And I quickly stuck out my hand and I introduced her and I said, introduced myself to her and I quickly made sure to say my last name, McCoy. And as soon as she heard that name, I could see a change in her. I saw her go from a suspicious and irritated lady to a bit softer and more intrigued lady. And she asked me to say my last name again, and I said it, and I said quickly, my great-grandfather used to live at this house. And she laughed and smiled and said, oh, no, he didn't. Mr. McCoy lived in that house, and she pointed to the house right next door. And it was at that moment I realized that this lady knew my great-grandfather, who I never knew because he died when I was very, very young. And so I asked her if she knew him, and she said yes, and I asked her to tell me, well, what do you remember about him? What was he like? I never really knew him. And when I asked her that, a big smile broke across her face, and she said, when when we moved into this neighborhood on this road, she said a lot of people were not glad that we were here. She said we were the first African-American couple to move on to this street, and no one in the neighborhood was happy about it. She said, but within the first week of us being here, your great-grandfather came to our house and welcomed us. He said that he was glad that we were here if we needed anything to let him know and if we had any trouble to let him know. And she said, your great-grandfather was a good man. He always made us feel welcome. I don't know how you would have felt in that moment if you heard that story about your great-grandparent. But in that moment, I felt this deep sense of pride. I was proud of the kind of man my great-grandfather was. And yet, in a strange way, it wasn't that that story changed my view of him, but it also, in a way, changed my view of myself. 
Because all of a sudden, I saw a glimpse into where I came from. I saw a glimpse into the kind of people that raised me. And I don't know if you've ever had this happen before where you hear a story about a relative or a grandparent or a parent or maybe even yourself from childhood and then all of a sudden begins to change how you view yourself. Something about knowing where you came from changes how you think about who you are and makes you think about the kind of person you want to be. There's a a technical term for these kinds of stories. They're called origin stories. And origin stories are basically stories that tell the beginnings of a person. And whenever you hear an origin story, basically what you're hearing in that moment is, is a story that gives more background and context to a person. That These origin stories give more texture to a person's life. And if you look around the world that we live in, you'll realize that origin stories are really popular. People are really interested in origin stories. If you think about the comic book universe, to use a lighthearted example, there are more and more movies being produced these days that tell the origins of the different heroes and villains. Movies like Batman Begins or more recently Joker tell origin stories. If you think about things like Ancestry.com or 23andMe, basically what those sites are tapping into is people's inherent desire to want to know where they came from. They want to know about their beginnings because in some way we know that if we have a sense of our beginnings, if we have a sense of our origins, then it shapes how we view ourselves. I think it's important for us to realize that we are telling a story with our life. And I think most people get that. But the other thing that I want us to notice is it's not just that we're telling a story with our life, but there are also stories that are shaping our life. Yes, we are shaping a story with the life we live, but there are these other kinds of stories that shape us as well, things like origin stories. And this interest in where we came from and the beginnings of who we are is not a new phenomenon. This is not just something that has all of a sudden become popular. But for centuries and centuries and centuries, people have been interested in beginnings. They've been interested in origin stories. And that's especially important for us to realize when we think about the people of God and we think about the story of Scripture. Because when you go to the very beginning of the Bible, you read a book that's called Genesis. And the reason why it's called Genesis is because it is an origin story. It is a story of beginnings. The very first word in the Bible is this word that's translated in the beginning. It's about the start of things. It's about the birth of things. It's about the origin of things. And so even the people of God from the very beginning wanted to make claims and wanted to tell stories that helped them understand where they came from and who they were called to be. And that's 
one very important thing for us to realize. Genesis is a story of beginnings. But equally as important, there is a second statement that's going to be significant to our series for the next few months. And that is this. The beginning of the story is Genesis. Yes, Genesis is the story of beginnings, but equally as true and important, the beginning of the story is Genesis. And here's what I mean by that. When you think about the Bible as a whole, one of the best ways to think about it is one big story. And so from Genesis to Revelation, what we're reading is this big sweeping narrative. And as with any story, it's divided up into acts. Think about a play. A play tells a story, and the play is divided up into acts. And one of the most helpful ways to think about the story of Scripture is to think about it in six big acts. So you have Act 1, creation, Genesis 1 and 2, and what we read there is what we just read a second ago. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what we read over those next two chapters is this account of God creating this good and ordered and glorious world, this this sacred landscape where there is right relationship between God and humanity, humanity and creation. There is this place of goodness and gladness, this place of beauty and truth, this place of peace and harmony that God creates out of love. But we also know that that's not the end of the story. There's also Act 2, what we could call cracked or corroded, Genesis 3 through 11. And and what happens in those chapters, in that act in the story, is a turn begins to happen. A crack enters the scene. Corrosion begins to happen through this act of mistrust through goodness being questioned, through this safe environment being threatened, through love being misdirected in ways it was never intended to be. And with that one act of mistrust and rebellion and disordered love, the story begins to shift. That wholeness and peace and health that created harmony of God, all of a sudden begins to change. It begins to go off course, so to speak. And then what we will read throughout the rest of the story is God seeking to return things, to restore things back to the way that they were always intended. And so when you read Act 3, the community of Israel, Genesis 12 through Malachi. What you read in those chapters of the Bible is the story of the people of God being called, God calling this community back to God's original intention, that that He blesses them in order to be a blessing to others, that they're supposed to embody this way of life, of right relationship with each other and God and the world that would draw people back to the way things always were intended. In that sense, they are this light. They are this lamp drawing all people to God. And that's really the intention of this community is is for them to be this witness to what God always desired, to be a place of peace and harmony and right relationship 
for the sake of the whole world. And what you read through Genesis 12 all the way to Malachi is basically the the people of God being faithful and failing, being faithful and failing at this desire and intention and mission from God. And that brings us to Act 4, Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what we read in the Gospels, this fourth act in the story, is the, the most complete expression of the commitment and faithfulness of God. That in Jesus what we see is is the faithful one who comes and embodies what God's intentions always were. He comes to embody and be the fullest expression, the face of God in our midst. And in our midst, what he shows us is God's original intention to return us to what we always were intended to be. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, he comes out of love to restore that which was corroded, to make whole that which was cracked, to save that which was lost. And it's in that context we can then read Act 5, the church, the community that is the church. And we read from Acts to Revelation 20 the story of this community who is is relaunched again to be the intention of God. That what they had seen and witnessed in Jesus, they were to continue. The the wholeness and harmony of Jesus, they were to embody. The, The faithfulness of Jesus, they were to also live out. That they too were to be this light in how they lived with each other and in relationship with God and in relationship with the world that would that would cause them to become these ministers of reconciliation. To help this mission of restoration that, that God had been working towards from the very beginning, from the moment that the story went off course. And so what we read from Acts to Revelation 20 is is the story of the community, the church of Jesus trying to be a faithful presence in the world. And then we read the final act, Act 6, what we could call consummation, Revelation 21 and 22. And yes, that is a sexual term, and so... That will probably mean an explicit rating for this podcast. But basically, the reason why that's an appropriate title for this final act of Revelation 20 and 21 is because what we see at the very end of the story is this marriage ceremony of heaven and earth. We see this marriage ceremony of the Lamb and the church. We, we see this return back to the goodness and beauty of of the garden. But what's interesting about Revelation 21 and 22 is it's not just that we find a garden, but we find a garden city. And in that garden city, what we see is this echo back to the beginning of the story. And what we see in Revelation 21 and 22, this new heavens and earth, is a restored relationship of God with humanity and humanity with each other and humanity with the entire world. 
and all that goodness and beauty and harmony and truth and peace are restored once and for all. The wholeness that was lost is restored once again. And when we think about Scripture through that lens of these six different acts of a story, hopefully what you noticed in that quick retelling was that what happened in Genesis 1 and 2 shapes everything else that happens after that. That the only way to make sense of all of the other acts of the story is to pay close attention to what happens in the very first act. And for far too many of us, and kind of the purpose of why we're doing this series is far too many of us start the story in all the wrong places. Some of us want to start the story at the very end of the story, and we end up obsessing about the end. Some of us, if you grew up in a tradition like mine, want to start the story in Act 5 with the church. So you end up telling a story that is all about the church. And so functionally, I grew up in a tradition that started the story in Acts 2. And that told a very different story than if we would have started somewhere else. Some people want to start the story with the Gospels, which which seems like the right place to start. And yet, those Gospel writers tell the story of Jesus by going all the way back to Adam, by going all the way back to in the beginning. So even the gospel writers can't start the story of Jesus without taking the reader all the way back to the beginning. But I think most tempting for most Christians is that far too often we start the story in Genesis 3 instead of Genesis 1 and 2. And so what ends up happening is we start the story with an act of mistrust. We start the story with a crack in the foundation. We start the story and rust is already corroding the scene. And when we start there, we end up telling a very different kind of story than if we would start in Genesis 1 and 2. And so we end up telling a story of sin. We end up telling a story of failure. We end up telling a story of rebellion, and that becomes the foundation upon which we build the rest of the story. But that's not where the story begins. The story begins in Genesis 1 and 2. It starts with wholeness. It starts with peace. It starts with right relationship. And the reason why it's so important to pay attention to where we begin and to what is actually first in the story is because where we begin will determine what we think is most basic about the story. Where we start first will determine what we think is most foundational. And it's critical that we see that Genesis 1 and 2 are the most foundational and first things of the story, that they are the actual beginning points and the most basic things in the story. And knowing that and believing that and starting there will shape a very different kind of story. And so what we're going to do in this series is we're going to do a deep dive 
into Genesis 1 and 2. Because by paying attention to what is told there and what is claimed there, it will cause us to tell a very different story of Scripture. And it will cause us to tell a very different story with our lives. And it's that second point about the story that we're telling with our life, which is so important for us to realize That as we are trying to tell a story with our life and as we pay attention to the origin stories of our lives, that we also claim Genesis 1 and 2 as the most fundamental and foundational origin story of who we are. And by starting there, we will end up claiming some very different things and living a very different life than if we start anywhere else and with any other story. And so that's where we're headed for the next few months. We're going to move very slowly through Genesis 1 and 2, paying attention to the claims made there about where we came from and who we are and how that changes the life that we live now. And so I want to encourage you to go ahead and read Genesis 1 and 2. Move through it very slowly and see what you actually find at the beginning. Because I would guess that what you find there may surprise you in the best of ways. And what that means and how that shapes our lives in different ways is is what we're going to try to explore each week. And so I hope you will come back next week. I hope to see you in class, and if you can't be in class, then I hope that you will subscribe and listen to this podcast so that you can stay in the loop, so you can keep up to date on where we're headed, and hopefully over the next few months that we won't just study Scripture together, but we'll also begin to watch our lives transform together. So in the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful week, and peace to you.